0: Hi there, it's Sarah and Joy again, and thank you for tuning into episode three of Africa Say What? In today's podcast, we are putting a phenomenon which the world has come to know as prosperity gospel on the hot seat. What is it, first of all? Well, prosperity gospel sounds like this.
1: Greetings in the name of the mighty Lord. I am Pastor Tenjiwe of the Church of Believers with a Lot of Extra Cash. And I come to you today to share with you the miracle that the Lord Almighty has chosen to give me the power of. Today, I will share with you how you can wash all your problems away, how you can melt all your problems away. For only a hundred rands, you can come to my church and get this frozen water. If you've
0: been in a Nigerian, Oregonian, or Zambian, or zimbabwean church before you're likely to have heard the pastor say you should sow a seed so person in the congregation i'm looking at you and i want you to reach into your pocket and pull out a check of 200,000 naira i prefer cash or better still i'd prefer dollars or euros or you can put the iphone 8 that you just bought into the offering basket that works perfectly too you know what happens when you do that? God apparently responds by sending you double of what you sewed because apparently he's in the business of exchanges. The funny thing is, you're likely to come back next Sunday and find the iPhone in the pastor's sister's hand. True story an Instagram user actually reported sewing his Samsung Galaxy X. S8 which was brand new into the offering basket and seeing the exact same phone with the pastor's younger sister the next Sunday. I don't know how he didn't see that as predictable.
1: Well, that's a very interesting story, Sarah. Um one important point to note is that We don't intend on calling out anyone on what best practices of Christianity are or neither do we intend to recommend ways in which people should practice their Christianity. I go to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints myself and although we do things differently at our church I've heard the privilege of being part of an awesome Pentecostal church for a significant amount of time in my life. Hence those experiences have driven me to understand that there is definitely a trend going on in Pentecostal churches and thanks to social media I've also had the privilege of watching the hilarious videos that have gone viral on... WhatsApp, on Instagram, and even on Facebook. And just yesterday, my cousin sent a short clip of this pastor, I believe it was in Kenya, who was kissing the congregation members who was seeking to solve their problems. For some reason, it was really suspicious how he managed to administer salvation to women only and not men through kissing. And we all probably know about a South African pastor who was delivering people through using doom a pesticide, and spraying it on people. I cannot stress on how the prices for doom fluctuated and how stores ran out of the product during that time. Strange but true. And there's also... You know, there are also pastors who have managed to make people drink sewage, eat grass, call heaven, sold apples for a significant amount of money, and made people to just do all these ridiculous things. The trend goes on and on, and we could talk about these examples till the cows come home. One of the main questions some people might ask are, how is it possible that these religious leaders get away with this? Why are people falling prey to this trick that is extorting them of money?
0: So first of all, Joy, you talked about the pastor who called heaven. If you haven't seen this video, I strongly recommend that you do. It is the most hilarious thing. His phone rings and he goes, Hello, is that heaven? And then he said God was asking him to talk to a particular woman. It's just just super strange. But I'm going to delve into the socioeconomic dimension of this, which is an interesting one to explore. So... Like I said before, I'm a student of social sciences, um, particularly political economy. And I'm going to use a quote here by social science darling Karl Marx and try to explain what's going on here. So Marx famously said, religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature. If poverty made life unbearable, then religion promised a reward in the afterlife. If social mobility was impossible in this life, then the poor could at least look forward to a happier kingdom in heaven. So I remember a documentary that uh, British media house ITV put out a while back about Nigeria's millionaire preachers. So there's this guy who's the focus of the documentary. His name is Sign Fireman. I kid you not. S-I-G-N. Fireman. And he's also a doctor, but I don't know where he got that degree from. He's risen to the top of his game, as evidenced by three expensive SUVs that are parked in his garage and the congregation he has, which is huge. Like, he has a really huge audience, and it's mostly people from lower income backgrounds. But he has pastors who train under him, sort of an apprenticeship and one of the pastors was giving a testimony at a service, and he said, before he became a pastor, he wasn't wearing designer suits. But now, thanks to this new job as a pastor, he can afford designer brands and more expensive wristwatches, and the congregation was going crazy, but in my head, I'm thinking, you guys are financing this lifestyle and you're not getting anything in return. Like, all the little money you put in every Sunday when you don't have, like, anything to eat. And just disclaimer, I'm not saying you shouldn't give to, like, religious causes. I'm just, like, saying they're financing the lifestyle and he's basically ripping them off and living off of them. But on the same day, in the same service fireman was prophesying and he said he sees someone in the audience who is going to buy a Lamborghini tomorrow or next week and everyone went wild and they were all screaming amen and you know cheering and my initial thought is what are you gonna do with the Lambo what am I gonna do with the Lambo on Nigerian roads first of all that simply is impractical like they are laden with potholes and I can't tell you like how soon you're going to have to call a mechanic. But where are you going to buy that Lamborghini from? Who's going to give you the money to maintain it? And that's the problem with Prosperity Gospel's emphasis on luxury material goods. They simply aren't practical with the audience. If he had said something like, you won't go hungry again, I'd have found that more realistic because Nigeria as it is now isn't the best country when it comes to food security in fact the UN FAO I think said that we are on the brink of famine and I can't remember the last time the word famine was used but in the hierarchy of needs as psychologists know when you're hungry the last thing on your mind is an Italian sports car
1: um, I really love how you try to explain the prosperity gospel from, you know, the Kalmas perspective. I think that's really interesting. And one thing that I must say is that not only are these religious leaders notorious, but they're really smart as well. You know, they identify a problem and they try to create a customized customized solution in a way that will benefit them and their family. The first problem that they have identified is the economic problems that people succumb to, when people cannot find solutions to certain problems, like you said, they resort to other measures like seeking spiritual so- solutions. And the current socio-political and economic climate in most African countries has cultivated an audience that can be easily made to believe in literally anything. You know, things are now extremely tough back home, um, such that when a pastor approaches a woman struggling to find a job and proposes to kiss her as a solution and justifying that solution using an out-of-context verse from the Bible, the likelihood of her giving in is really high. I mean, it's really sad because you find these pastors taking advantage of people that are in genuine need of help. And then how do they manage to go about doing all these notorious um, activities? My second um, um, analysis to that will be how these pastors are using verses out of context. I cannot stress this point enough. Not to call out on anyone, but one thing that I've noticed is how pastors take verses out of context to drive a certain point. And because of how voluminous the Bible is, this makes it really hard for the majority to understand the meaning of verses and how they connect, which is common especially if you're not a theology major. One example of a verse that has been used out of context is Malachi 3, verses 8 to 10. And it says, Women rob God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed You in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more needed. Now, this is one of the most famous verses that pastors tend to utilize. They use such verses to categorize congregants. If you give tithes, or rather, if you sow a bigger seed, you are a good Christian. If you cannot afford to sow a bigger seed and cannot afford to even pay tithes at all, you are a bad Christian and you are hindering God's work and you are preventing the windows of heaven from being opened for you. And I mean this was God speaking to certain people at a certain time. And people are just using this verse out of context in a way that is unfortunate and in a way that is categorizing people at church and in a way that is preventing the gospel from being, you know, being used the way it is supposed to. And my question will is um when is this going to stop? And where are we going in terms of the gospel? What you know what narratives are we creating around christianity it's such a puzzle of all these questions and i don't know man so one i
0: think it's not going to slow down anytime soon if if not like anything it's going to gain more traction because i think it's become a business venture now it's it's legitimately an economic activity with huge benefits so Like some economists did research in Nigeria and they actually like said that the church business is a huge business. And if you like calculated the amount of money that flows through like religious bodies every year, it would be a huge part of GDP, which is insane. But still on the topic of people using things out of context, you you should see this documentary that ITV put out. I'm not even sure if it was ITV or Channel Four or if they're the same thing. But in the documentary, when the reporter finally comes face to face with Sign Fireman, Fireman's defense is that Jesus Christ, who we all know was a carpenter, was a rich man and he had an accountant by the name of Judas Iscariot. And I'm like, I've never heard anyone <laughs> used that analogy before and say that because Judas kept money for like all the disciples together, it automatically meant Jesus was rich. But I don't know. You let us know what you think. Um, and now I'm just going to shift gears and give you the rundown of what's new and notable in Africa today. In the last podcast, we said congratulations to Nigeria. Well, Congratulations to the Egyptian Pharaohs, too, for joining Nigeria on the list of African countries who are headed to Russia in 2018. Mohamed Salah saved the day for the Egyptian men's soccer team, and I was especially happy as a Liverpool fan. But, fun fact about Egypt is, in 1934, they became the first African team to play in the World Cup Finals, and the last time they qualified was in 1990, so this is huge. Once more, good job, Egypt. On the second point, I was getting excited to say that Liberia just elected a one-time FIFA World Player of the Year as their president which would have been insane, right? But unfortunately, the presidential elections that were just held did not produce a winner with clear majority backing. So there will be a runoff between George Weah, who was the first African to be FIFA World Player of the Year, and also a recipient of the Ballon d'Or Golden Ball Award. There will be a runoff between him and Joseph Boykai, who is the incumbent vice president to Ellen Sirleaf. It would be exciting if George won because it would be the first African world player of the year, succeeding the first African female president. And that would make Liberia a country of many firsts. But we'll just see how the elections play out. We hope that there is no violence, as was the case in Kenya. And we hope that the results are free and fair. Now on to our favorite OG, Grace Mugabe, the Zimbabwean first lady is reportedly behind a strategic cabinet shuffle that disposes of the vice president's loyalists. So there's something going on between the president and the vice president, Um, some sort of mistrust and people saying that there's likelihood of a coup. Um, to oust Mugabe, but if you're not familiar with Zimbabwean politics, Grace Mugabe wants to succeed her elderly husband when he's out of office, so she will not let anyone stand in her way, and she's resorted to some of the craziest things as a result, so she allegedly poisoned the ice cream that was served to some government officials at a public function, and Talk about vicious. Anyways, we'll cross our hands and watch how this saga plays out. That's it for today's podcast, guys. Let us know what you think about Prosperity Gospel once again. Join the conversation. Leave comments everywhere. If you go to church, how do they do it over there? And please follow us on all our social media platforms on Facebook and Instagram at Africa Say What and on Twitter at underscore Africa Say What.